The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in June 2008. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Harriet Harris. Harriet currently starring in the Broadway show Cry Baby. She plays Mrs. Vernon Williams. Recently on Broadway, an old acquaintance a few years ago won the Tony Award and the Drama Desk Award for Thoroughly Modern Millie. She played Mrs. Mears. She also starred opposite Nathan Lane in The Man Who Came to Dinner as Maggie Cutler. Off-Broadway in Paul Rudnick's Jeffrey and Rude Entertainment, many, many other off-Broadway shows we'll get to. Television viewers certainly know her as Felicia Tillman on Desperate Housewives, as Frasier's agent B.B. Glazer on Frasier, from Six Feet Under, from movies like Memento, Nurse Betty, Adam's Family Values. Welcome, Harriet. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Cry Baby, the show you're currently in, is based on that John Waters movie set in 1954 in Baltimore, and you play the central uh, female character's uh, grandmother, Allison... Is is the character and you play her grandmother? I'm the very youthful grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here looking at you, you're not a grandmother oh, at all. Oh, you're precious. <laughs> casting casting against type, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's a juicy role, though, for you. It's a great part. Yeah, it's very surprising, and I think it creeps up on um, on the audience and who she's supposed to be, and that she has a secret, and and uh, that she actually isn't just some foil, but she really had done something years and years ago that that started all this happening this little thing that at her in her mind that was a very small thing and had explosive results. So. Well, for those who may not be aware, Cry Baby was a movie that John Waters did in 1990, I guess, and he's the same fellow who did the movie Hairspray, upon which that hit Broadway show is based. So this is actually his second show on Broadway, and it's a story set in Baltimore where Allison is the good girl who wants to become a bad girl, and she meets a bad boy. That's you know, the basic underlying storyline. Yeah, he's a bad boy that really has a heart of gold. He's a, So they, they belong together, and I think from the very outset, that's something that the audience wants to have happen. They want to see these kids get together and see that there's something lacking in, in their li- individual lives and that they'll complete one another in a perfect musical comedy way. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. But John Waters and musical comedy until Hairspray wasn't something we always thought about. And in Crybaby, I have to say, it seems a little even more John Waters-y, if that's an adjective. I'm curious as to uh, when you were first approached, what... Uh, what shape the role was in and, and what the experience is of John Waters. Well, I I had many reasons I wanted to do this part. Uh, I love doing musicals, and I don't... At this point, I've been... Uh, I had the opportunity to do a few of them, and, and I'm always amazed that I have the opportunity. And I think it could stop at any time. So if there is a musical, I want to read it. I want to see what it is and what I'd have to do. I... Uh, worked with Mark Brokaw many years ago, and I really enjoyed it. I worked with Rob Ashford and Millie, and that too. I thought, well, if there's a choreographer that's willing to work with me again, then boy, boy, I should think about this. Uh, I was John Waters' fan, and I really wanted to meet him and actually meet him in a circumstance where I'd get an actual hint of what he's really like. And I've known Mark O'Donnell for a number of years, and, and I admire Thomas Meehan, so I just thought, this is this is a great opportunity. And I loved the music. They sent a CD, and I thought, incredibly funny lyrics, really witty, not just funny, but witty, and and entertaining, and uh, and exciting music, I thought. Okay, well, so Dirk, what's John Waters really like? He's so gentlemanly. It's really surprising. I grew up in, in uh, 
in Fort Worth, and, and the Texas gentlemen really do want to be gentlemanly. And, I, and I'm so surprised that John Waters is so, he really, he, he's this lovely dichotomy of, um, you know, he, he dresses in some ways, that so he sort of like, looks like Dracula, you know, he, particularly when he's got a thing to do. He's always got his, his um, sort of John Waters drag on, which really consists of only something slightly controversial, but on John it looks really like way out there. <laughs> and he's, he's extremely uh, gentle, has a crazy, wonderful sense of humor. Um, very gracious, wants everybody to have a good time, and then um, you know he really wants he wants people to enjoy being bad well, and and he really gives permission for that and like a good host, so I adore him well, during the development of the play Cry Baby, how involved was he both I, at La Jolla because then in I New York? came in only for the the La Jolla uh, jaunt and and this and they've had so many workshops before i don't know how involved john was leading up to it i know that everything gets run by john and i don't know i don't know how controlling he is but i think he says what he likes and when things are going in a certain direction he goes that seems to me very much like crybaby and and uh, he has come in to a number of rehearsals and has said, well, what about this? What about this? So he's he's there to shepherd, I think. Maybe that's even that's too extreme. He's there to advise and and not to dictate. And I think if he thought he, if what he was put on earth to do was to write musicals and do that, that that's what he would be comfortable doing. But I think he thinks that there are other people who are there to do that. And what he's done is said, here's Crybaby. Had you seen the movie version of Crybaby? Yes, yeah, sure. Recently or a long time ago? A long time ago, yeah. So did that have any influence on how you portray your character? I I think because they, they have such a different job for my character in this show than they did in the movie. And Polly Bergen is... I, I can't imagine ever getting to play a part that Polly Bergen would get to play because she's so beautiful. And this, she has... Um, she has more to do than she had in the movie, but of course I will never have the visual impact that Polly Bergen has. So uh, she she didn't have so much to do in the movie, but then, you know, uh, a lot of people didn't have a whole lot to do in the movie. It was pretty much about Johnny Depp and um, and and Anne Allison. From the time you came into the show, was the character still evolving? How much impact did you get to have on the character? I think the only... I don't know. I mean, people always want to make you feel like you're contributing. <laughs> so you don't turn hostile, I think. <laughs> but um, the thing that I wanted to make sure is that since there... I didn't think she was the villain of the piece. I think I really think she's the hero or the heroine of the piece because she does come clean and she does do the right thing in the end. And she could have not done the right thing. So she really has even though we don't care so much and we don't care so much about her arc and we only care in terms of what happens with Crybaby and Allison, she does have a journey that she goes on. And that, to me, was not that she turned from a villain um, into a, a good guy. It's from somebody who who could die with a secret that would hurt everybody or expose the secret, and that will really only hurt herself, and it will it will heal everybody else. And that, I think, is a hero. So I was interested that she really, she really believed in herself as a good person, and 
that she really have been the kind of person that does do wonderful things in the community. I think she does. I think she raises money for the hospital wing. I think she does. She is out there and she takes care of the botanical gardens and she's the head of all the committees. And she really, whether she's trying to make up for this thing that she once did and try to keep that way in the background so she hardly ever thinks about it and she's stocking up all these great deeds that she's done. Um, so that's what I wanted to make sure that, that she was really a sincerely sweet, nice person who had, who had sided with friends who were the bad guys. We commented at the very beginning that it's sort of silly to think of you in a grandmother role as we sit here with you. But I am curious about the fact that for the majority of the play, of the, of the musical, you're the adult. Yes. Everybody else are the kids. What's it like being the adult among the kids? Well, I am the adult among the kids. <laughs> I mean, Rick, Rick Poe is in there with you. Yeah. Right? Richard and I sort of look at them, and, and we really we do call them the kids, you know, and they're... they're 20-something, you know. They're, um, they're really adorable. They're very creative. They're very irrepressible. They're frequently, there's like just too, it's like too many things are getting stuffed in this one bag. And then that's when Mark Brokaw has to come in as the director and, and edit because everybody's, con- they're very creative and they're just these ideas churning and churning and churning and pretty much it's sort of like, wow, there's so much going on. We, we've we lost the story because there's so much extracurricular uh, creativity going on and then he has to sort of winnow that away and he does that very gracefully and nobody gets their feelings hurt and and it all works out but yeah it's it, it, it's interesting to see that really attack and enthusiasm, enthusiasm that you know these 20 year old kids have I'm always curious as to from the stage how performers register audience reaction. And I'm wondering, because, again, the experience of of Crybaby is not the same experience as Hairspray. The tone Mm -hmm. of the shows is different. Do you have a sense of of people coming in and adjusting to their expectations, or or do they just get it from the get-go? I think they pretty much get it right away. I think there are a, a couple of jokes in the beginning that really say, this is going to be a, a different kind of show, and we're not we're not doing hairspray here tonight. And happily, if they want to see hairspray, you can still see hairspray. So, uh, I think that and the really raucous dance numbers that start right away. I think um, people are prepared for a different evening, and and I would think people would want that. Well, just the title of the first song, the anti polio picnic, that kind yeah. of sets the scene, I guess. Of and course, nineteen fifty four polio was. Unfortunately, a, a dread disease. Yeah, and the boy being wheeled out in his iron lung. Yeah. I was going to avoid <laughs> saying, the sidekick, you know, but, but there you go. <laughs> just horrifying. Kind of sets a tone for what's to come. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Are there any sacred cows that you that you, you, you particularly like to explore in this show? I mean, besides polio, is there anything else that uh, really stands <laughs> out uh, as, as a fun aspect of the show? You mean... Titles such as "Girl, Can I Kiss You with Tongue"? That could be one. That's of them. a good. That's a really good number. And actually, when I heard that number, I thought on the CD, I thought, "Oh, you know, I'm going to have to do this show. I don't care what the rest of the script is. I don't. It's just this is so 
horrifying. And I, I always, anything that makes me think if I hadn't become an actress, if I'd stayed in Fort Worth, and if I'd done whatever was expected of me to do, when anything ever comes up in a script that I think, oh my gosh, then I think, yeah, you're doing this show. <laughs> if it if it would horrify the part of me that you know still exists, then then I think you you need to do this show. You need to be in this experience, and it's, it's, I don't want it completely whipped out of me. But it it really uh, I I I think it's fun to be surprised and shocked. And I guess it's kind of expected in a, in a show that comes out of a John Waters film that there'd be some shock yeah, elements and, to and it. And that's that part of John is that just that thrill to shock and 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 people how much people enjoy it. You just made a comment about if you'd done what was expected of you. And so I want to jump back to your roots in Fort Worth, but I loved a particular quote that I saw. Um, my mother once said that my first words were Tony Award. Now, <laughs> that would seem that that was what was expected of you. No, well, that was, you know, it was a big lie and it was a joke. <laughs> so, well, and it was actually, uh, I, I had said, give me Tony, but it's never been quoted as that. So it doesn't really matter. But I, I said it that way because of Sutton's song, Gimme, Gimme. And <laughs> I thought it, and it really, uh, I, I became uh, interested in acting only through a godmother's having told me, because I was very withdrawn and it was... Uh, that's something that was not encouraged in Fort Worth. Can you imagine a shy Texan? It's just what are you, what are you going to do with that? So, well, I have to say, from from your stage persona, I have trouble thinking of you as having been shy. Well, it it just it was really I I was I'm still pretty introverted, but the it, it's something that was really a problem. I mm -hmm. think so. They thought, oh, send her to theater school. There's a really good theater school in Fort Worth, and send her there. Get her out of herself a little. And I just think, what a smart woman that was. And so I went to theater school, and it was really fun, and it was interesting, and uh, I liked it, and it did. It gave me permission to sort of uh, step outside. And how old were you at that point? I think I was seven. Seven. So, and it was a really fun thing to do. And then I, I think I did it for a couple of years and stopped and just thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be an actress. That's what I'll do. And the woman that ran the theater school, whose name was Sharon Ben, she's wonderful woman that did a lot for Fort Worth. And my mother said, do you think Harriet could really do this? And <laughs> I guess by that time I was nine. And she said, oh, yes. She has a lot of authority on stage. She could do this. At so, nine. Yeah, so, <laughs> what roles did you play at this oh, point? Oh, you know, like... Third Daisy from the left? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but apparently... <laughs> but with I raged aplomb. as that Daisy. <laughs> well, I had read somewhere that at age six you wanted to be governor of Texas. Yes, I did. And then you gave that up and became an actor instead. I could always go back to Texas and give it a thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. But clearly your teacher was right because by age 18, you're at the Juilliard School? Yeah. So t t Well, it's something I, I just kept thinking, well, I want to do it, but I didn't think I necessarily needed to train for it. It's been a real downfall in my life that I don't necessarily think I need to train for things. I just need to imagine myself in the position. And then, you know, of course I'll live up to it, but... Um, a couple of years ago, I really hurt myself by imagining that I could do the splits. And um, <laughs> so you, so you some, things, some things you really do need you to, do train, to for. train for. <laughs> so what prompted you to apply to Juilliard? I wanted to be an actress and another godmother. I have a many, many godmothers <laughs> um, said, why don't you send Harriet to Juilliard? I read an article about it in Time magazine. I hear it's very good. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be good. So I drove a friend of mine over to an audition. He was a senior and I was a junior, and um, 
he didn't have a car, so I drove him to Dallas for the audition. And he was a wonderfully talented guy, and he didn't get in. And while I was there, I auditioned, and I had uh, I was going to a private school, and I had my uniform on. And John Houseman said, well, you know, obviously I'm hoping this is a uniform. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, your education must be important to you. I shouldn't try to imitate John. But um, he said, maybe you want to think about coming back and auditioning again next year when you're actually eligible. We'll take you. If you want to get your GED, we'll take you. And my mother said, no, no way you're going to do that. And I think she thought I was far too immature. <laughs> so I went through the audition process again, auditioning for Michael Kahn this time. And I didn't impress Michael Kahn. I got John Houseman. And as I was walking out thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? I haven't applied anyplace else. I thought I was going to get it at Juilliard. And as I was leaving, Michael said, you didn't by any chance audition for John Houseman last year, did you? And I said, yes, I did. And he went, oh, all right. And then I thought, I don't know what that means. And then I waited for weeks and weeks and weeks, and the acceptance letter came, and I was so... And my guidance counselor was very happy, too, because he just thought, this girl is not going to make it in any other kind of world. And She's you had just... no backup plan. None. Mm-hmm. None. <laughs> what, what, what was the audition process? What did you have to do? I, I think oh, I did uh, Helena from Midsummer Night's Dream. And I think I only could remember the first three lines because I, I was so scared. And I did the mother from a play called Summer Tree. And it was, you know, I was at that point, I guess I was 16. And already I thought, oh, I'm a character actress. So I was doing this monologue of this mother reading um, her letter to her uh, that her son had sent her from Vietnam who wasn't going to come home. Somehow I identified very deeply with that material. (laughs) And, um, I'm only laughing because it was so it was so incredibly inappropriate, and it never dawned on me how inappropriate that material was for a girl my age with my limited experience and and uh, and then some improvs because I'd gone up in the Shakespeare. John made me do a number of improvs, but it didn't didn't involve any singing or dancing. I guess. Oh gosh, no! I wouldn't have gotten in. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Over the time at Juilliard, what do you think you learned? through that process from where you thought you were going in? I really, I think I learned how to um, make friends with people. And I think I, I think that was the best thing about my class. Every, not every class at Juilliard or I guess any school gets along, but it's a very tight-knit group. And sometimes they're just chasing each other, trying to, you know, devour each other. But we were really... We really admired one another, and we really thought the other person was talented and deserved to be there and deserved a career in the theater. And, you know, now I think, gosh, we were just, we were young and foolish, but because you don't deserve a career in the theater, you just, you know, you either sort of somehow it happens or some of it maybe you earn, but it's it's pretty quixotic. And uh, so that was the greatest thing I think I took away, but I did get wonderful training there from I thought incredible teachers, and um, but the main thing I, I guess I guess also the the conservatory training of being able to keep continually turning things over, and if this doesn't work, you try this, and you, so you're not bound to one technique, which I think probably would not work so well for me. I do like to look at things from a lot of different aspects, and and try to envision different ways of working on something and and it remains very 
fun and entertaining. Nothing ever feels by rote that way. And then from Juilliard, you went straight to work with John Houseman's The Acting Company. You were there for, what, three seasons, I yes. guess, doing rep work and yeah. traveling and all Playing that? Playing third soldier from the left and <laughs> second peasant woman and... I worked my way up to uh, eventually playing um, some very nice parts there. And that, at the time, in the time that I began the acting company uh, and the time I left, because a lot of a, a couple of people from Group One were still in the acting company, and uh, uh, you really did expect to uh, David Schramm and Mary Lou Rosado. Uh, and Mary Lou, I think my first year, Mary Lou was playing... Goneril. I know that couldn't have been the first year, but I remember understudying Mary Lou and, as Goneril and Mother Courage, and, and I went on as Goneril, and that was what you were expected to do. You didn't necessarily expect to go into the company playing great parts, and you got to go and play 300-seat houses and 2,000-seat houses, and, and David and Mary Lou really knew what they were doing. They weren't just kids off the boat. You know, They really had, by all these years of going out there and and so there was really somebody to watch and a kind of technique to aspire to and uh and a and a, a feeling that you you are going to constantly be trying to um become a better actor and deserve better parts and work your way up and by the time i left maybe because i was one of the senior members of the company but kids came in and they expected to we used to watch them in the wings, and we would watch the, those of us who came in that first year that I was in the company. We would watch, in the, we'd stand in the wings and watch, and we would watch what people are doing, and we would watch to see how jokes worked or how things worked or why is that different tonight or why is this audience not. And we would stand there and listen. If we couldn't watch, we would listen. And I'm not saying we didn't goof off and play around because we did do that a lot too. But there really was an involvement in the show that was going on that night. And what the temperature was, you know, artistically and in mm-hmm. the audience and you know, just the environment of it. And that really surprised me when I actually got into more professional situations where people really, they're paying, playing cards backstage. It's, it's just a different kind of thing. You start to take it for granted in a way that um, I still, I'm still amazed by that. I still don't understand that. I love standing in the wings and watching. I watch Cry Baby. Um, and, you know, because the people are doing things I cannot do and will never be able to do. There's a lot of gifted people on stage. For those who aren't as familiar with the acting company, we should explain that you mentioned Group One. We're talking about the fact that the original company, which had only been out probably four or five years at most before you became involved. Yes, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. So um, somewhere in. years. Really? I didn't realize it was. Oh, no, no, the company had been. So. What you were doing was rep. Typically, they were out with three shows. Usually, three a year. big shows, and, and and maybe one we were rehearsing, and one that was a smaller play for smaller venues. And and playing in some cases very short runs. Sometimes a couple of nights, you know, at that at that yeah. era. So so you're you're having an experience that many actors don't have now, which is a working in true rep, mm-hmm. but working in true rep on the road. And I'm just wondering what that, as you talked about the experience of watching it all, but but is that something that, that we've lost in American theater, that opportunity? I think it's uh, there. I've, I've noticed that, that younger actors don't feel bad about missing a show. And, and it's just the way it may be 
it may be how hard musicals are to do, and because I'm sort of a, I'm not exactly a newcomer to it anymore, but I haven't done that many of them, and it is harder on your body, you know, and it's harder, it's harder to sing than it is to speak a line. So, um, but people seem to want to, uh, or feel like they can take off, that there's permission to take off for things that I just never would occur to me. I've missed, I think I've missed six shows. To, I shouldn't talk about it because, you know, it could happen tonight that something happens. But in all the, because of illness, in all the years that I've been doing this, and I've missed a, uh, a number of shows because of another work commitment that the producers were willing to let me out for this or it was part of the contract to begin with. Or, but it, that's something that I think that, that maybe that being on the road for three years and thinking, okay, we've got to ride the bus eight hours tonight and be in a horrible hotel room or motel room, really, someplace where we don't want to be, where we don't know anybody, and um, then we'll ride the bus for four hours the next day, and then we'll get into town, we'll shower, we'll go over, we'll do the sound check, we'll find, you know, and then we'll get to do the show. And then maybe we're there for three days, like you said, or maybe we're not. And and uh, sometimes the company had weak residencies in great places, you know. And that was tremendous. But a lot of the times it was, you know, it's going to be 12 hours of road before you got to act. Mm-hmm. And it was really something that, that you know, you just think, oh, and you show up exhausted, but you think, I got to do the show. I am going to get to do the show. This is, you know, there's an opportunity to tell a story before an audience tonight. And it was it, it's something that I think that is valuable to well, actors. It sounds rather like conditioning to you know, when you're young. Is it different now? Is, is that the right reason why you think these younger performers are missing? Because it's not the same mindset, not the same um, uh, uh, way that they come up in the business? It may be. I mean, they're, they're to, it's silly to talk about it because the people I'm talking about have years and years of discipline. That, you know, they've been singing and dancing since they were children. So there's an enormous amount of discipline there that I don't have. And I think they may feel like they've put in an enormous amount of time. But because because they are young and they are singing and dancing on Broadway at a very young age, and I didn't get to do anything on Broadway except understudy, um, Stockard Channing and Four Baboons Adoring the Sun, which was really fun, too. But... uh, I never got to a real role that was mine on Broadway until I did the thing with Nathan. So, uh, and I remember leaving uh, the stage door at Millie one night, and there was a little girl that was so smart, and you thought, oh, well, yeah, she's going to Brown. You can just tell. She's, <laughs> like, really, really with it, kid. And her mother was there, and she said, how many Broadway plays have you done? And I said, oh, two. She said, wow, is it hard to get a Broadway play? And I said, well, yeah, for me. And I thought, but there there were kids, you know, in their 20s in Millie that had already done six or seven Broadway shows. So I think that's part of it, too, is they know that there will be another. And most stage actors don't all, you know, you just don't, you don't think that. You don't assume there's going to be another call for me right away. Jumping back, I mean, it's very interesting. Jumping back after your three years at the acting company, I mean, you come out of school, you've got a gig for three years. There may have been some layoffs. When you hit the streets in New York and started looking for work, what was the experience? I mean, we see a lot of of miscellaneous, I I shouldn't say that, but (laughs) classical work all over the place. Well, that's what I wanted to do. Shows like Elizabeth I and The White Devil and Hamlet at the public. Which Hamlet was that? That that was with Kevin that Livio Chule directed. So it was the first of the Kevin Klein Hamlets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but what were the opportunities for a classical actress in New York at that time? Um, I knew that I was going to do a lot of stuff if I were lucky enough to do it. I, I knew that most of it would be in the regional theater, and I, I got to do a whole lot of roles and wonderful parts because of that. And because I've never been a perfect ingenue, when I was young enough to be an ingenue, I was always the, the weird one. I was, you know, like Electra. I'm the ingenue that kills her mother. I'm that sort of ingenue. So uh, I did. I was lucky enough to work, and because I've got a rather low voice, I was able to start playing older parts earlier. And um, so I got into a, a kind of strange leading lady area earlier than I might have, mm-hmm. and uh, when people were still playing ingenues, I mean. So that I got to play a lot of great parts that way, and um, I was lucky enough to work with Livio Chuli at at, uh, at the Guthrie, where I absolutely adored working there. And uh, I got to do a wonderful tartuffe there with a, another uh, wonderful Romanian director, Lucian Pintillier. And uh, uh, it, that was a very valuable experience. And that, you know, that was still in rep, too. So I really, I really enjoyed doing that. We we rehearsed it. We didn't really perform it so much in rep as we rehearsed it, mm-hmm. and uh, at the same time while performing. And I spent a, about a year at ART doing some great shows there, which I really enjoyed. So it was it, that was to me. I I felt that that was a very successful and very creative and wonderful period because I was just happy to get these great jobs, and I wasn't really trying to career my way to anything. Um, but I did at some point notice that all I could get were classical plays. And no one, you know, it was sort of like I'm out of step in time or something. So that uh, it was really people just didn't see me as uh, credible for for any kind of contemporary play. Well, whether it's contemporary or I have to say in researching this, I thought to myself, as I looked at your credits, I thought we th- always think of her as a comic actress and to see all of this classical work. So... I'm yeah. curious I as think to yeah. how you, as you say, they didn't think of you for contemporary. I didn't see the comic roles. How did you begin that transition? I think it's, uh, maybe when Chris Ashley cast me in uh, Bella 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 Russia, because that was a very funny show and really weird. Um, uh, and right during that time, Chris and Paul Rudnick were starting to do readings of Jeffrey. And because Chris knew me. <laughs> he said, do you want to do this reading? And I said, sure. And that, too, that was one of those things like, girl, can I kiss you with tongue? I was reading the script, and there was a... Uh, and since we're on XM Radio, I'm going to say it. There was a uh, the line that the mother has to her son, Jeffrey. Um, do you like it when they shave their assholes? And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm... Oh, I nearly have to shut the script and put it down. <laughs> now, baby, you're doing this play. This is gonna. This is something that you need to do. And and uh, I it did. It horrified me, but it laughed, made me laugh so hard that this really sweet mother was saying to her son, "Do you like it when they shave their assholes?" <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just horrifying, horrifying. And I couldn't wait to get to the rest of it. And you know, Richard Poe, you mentioned before, and he was in it, and he was. You know, a, a, a priest that uh, was was on the make, and I think at that time Nathan was doing it in the reading. But it really, there were things about it that I just thought this is so crazy and so shocking, and 
that it, it's thrilling to me to 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 be so bad in public. Well, Jeffrey was was it was about AIDS. You were the only female in the cast. You played many different roles in the cast. How did you come into that show, and then how did it develop around you to play all the different roles? Well, it was always going to be one woman. In the uh, initial reading, I think there were only four characters, maybe, and. I think between Chris and Paul, they decided that I might not do it if the part were that small. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. That's what Paul said later. I don't know. You know, I'm sure that, that that's just ridiculous because I would have wanted to do it anyway. But it, I think it did become something that he he just kept writing roles for me, and and Paul is really prolific, and he does not mind tearing 15 pages out and coming back with something funnier the next day. He'll look at it, and it's very funny, and everybody will think it's wonderful, and Paul will just think, that's not quite right. That's not funny enough. And and he really is collaborative. He's somebody that is so much fun to work with because you can... Uh, he is the funniest person in any room. So, you you know, of... of in in this particular world, he's you know he's really really funny. So um, and in any, but I mean, uh, so you can go up to Paul and say, "Do you think this is funny? Would this be funny? What if?" And there's no hesitancy or trepidation about it because he's not going to get offended. He'll either he'll take the idea and make it funnier, or he'll go, "That would be funny," and then he'll make a joke and you go, "Oh, obviously that's not so funny." <laughs> <laughs> but it, it that. It's really he's really fun to work with because of that. So and during the development of Jeffrey, then did you have input into what the different barely? I just you know at one point he said, "What should I do to make this funnier?" And I said, "Put me in it." <laughs> put me in the, and he said that I said that, so I don't remember it. But uh, he did put me in a whole lot of scenes just because it was interesting to throw a woman into an all guy thing. It was mm-hmm. almost always going to be funnier um, to to have some strange woman come in doing something. So uh, I got a lot of, I got to do a lot of really, that was one of the best things I've ever gotten to do in my life. I loved it. The whole experience was just, just dreamy. And those two shows, you mentioned Bella and then Jeffrey, happened in pretty close proximity. Yes. So had there, had you had the opportunity to do much comedy before that? Or was it really like the first time you're getting I laughs think, on stage? I think that I, I think, um. Uh, I had done funny things in school, and I'd done uh, Broadway in the acting company, and that was funny. And mm-hmm. I'd done uh, a couple of other plays that were, were comedies, but they were classic comedies. They weren't like I'm gonna. I'm actually trying to get you to cough up blood. If I can, <laughs> if I can get you to actually <laughs> split your seams, then that's you know that's what really we're going for here. So that was really that was fun, and it was. Uh, it was the first time, certainly, being in a room where the thing is going to get rewritten. It's, you know, it's uh, the classic comedy. You know, you pretty much know how these things are supposed to go and how they're supposed to land. And, um, but the, and I love doing those. But these, it's really fun to be in a room with a writer that's writing. Mm-hmm. It's just a very exciting thing to get to do. It's amazing. Well, your Broadway debut, so to speak, even though you were understudy previously in a, in, a, in a show called Four Baboons Ascending the Sun, you real Broadway adoring the sun, yeah, adoring the sun. It's right? probably it's probably yeah. wrong on my resume, but <laughs> no, no, it's, oh, I just wasn't reading it. Oh. Um, your real Broadway debut was as Maggie Cutler in The Man Who Came to Dinner, opposite Nathan Lane. Yeah, in, uh, that was a great in thing 2000. to get to do. 
Yeah. What was it like working with Nathan and doing I that show? I love Nathan. If I were more religious, I'd have a shrine to Nathan because he's just, he's remarkable. He really, really, he's just sublimely comic. He has an incredible ear. He has uh, an amazing idea of how things get put together. And uh, when we were doing Men Who Came to Dinner, Nathan came in knowing his lines. So, and I think part of that was because he knew he was going to be in that chair and couldn't be fumbling with the script. And so he set the bar really high for the cast. And people tried to get off book as quickly as possible, which is a good thing for a comedy that's not going to change. You know, you're not, <laughs> no one's going to come in and rewrite that stuff. So um, it it really did get us on our feet and thinking quickly. And, and uh, Jerry certainly, Jerry Zach certainly knew what he wanted and what he wanted things to be like. And to get to see um, Nathan and Louis Stadlin together, that was just magical every night. Uh, they were just brilliant together. And Nathan really just enjoyed the idea like in the play, that people are going to come through those doors and the weight is off his shoulder for a while and somebody's going to do their thing for that amount of time. It was and, almost like one of those old radio shows where, you know, the door would open and they'd say, oh, look who's here, and somebody would come out and do their sketch. I mean, Byron Jennings, I think, had 10 minutes in the whole show. And it was, and it was bliss, wasn't it? Yeah. He was just tremendous, I thought. Just so glorious. There were a lot of lovely things in that production, I thought. And, uh, and Nathan really... He's just a wonderful, he's a wonderful lead. He's a wonderful captain, you know. And you really do feel like something great can happen every day in rehearsal. And he never had any problems about anything. He never had any issues about anything. Just there to work and, you know, figure out how to make people laugh that night. And that was a show done by Roundabout. That was the first one at the American yes. Airlines Theater yeah, show. Yeah, I think you, they were supposed to do Uncle Vanya there, but the theater wasn't ready wasn't in time. ready. Yeah, so how did you get involved with that? Now, you've been doing off-Broadway work. Suddenly, you're on Broadway. I think I had done... Uh, I'm not sure what brought me to their attention. I don't I don't know what it was. But I had done, uh, with John Mahoney, uh, at Steppenwolf, I had done a, a production of Man Who Came to Dinner. And I think, actually, that may have been one of the reasons that they didn't want to hire me to begin with, because I had done it. But I went in to read for Jerry in L.A., and there was a whole long process back and forth of, you know, you've got to let me... I'm not casting Harriet, but you've got to let me know if Harriet's got anything. I've got to have... So it went back and forth forever, and I just kept thinking, oh, you know, I would be. I really want to work with Nathan, and I really want to do this show, and I'm really good in these sort of 30s comedies. It's a, it's a, something that I really understand, I think, anyway. Um, on the, you know, if you think of things that you might be good at. That's something I think I might be good at. So, uh, But it went on for months, months and months. And then they finally called and said, we're going to fly Harriet in to New York to see how ludicrous it would be <laughs> to have Harriet opposite Nathan. <laughs> and I thought, wow, did he really say ludicrous? There's encouragement. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, you're flying me in, you're putting me up, and Sure, you know. May as well try. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was really funny. I thought, just, just don't get your nose out of joint. You know, obviously they, they're trying to say it's still not going to be you. There's something about it that maybe it was said to protect me in some way. So, um, I came in and I 
did the thing and you know I walked back out and uh, there was another actress there that was much 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 younger and I think that that's what it must have been is that um, Nathan and I are pretty much the same age so uh, there was somebody that was you know in her sort of mid 20s and I thought oh that's not the right way to go for Maggie but if that's what you want to do and uh, then by all means you know I can see what you meant you want you wanted a younger Maggie but uh, it, I think you know I walked out the door she walked in she did I'm sure a wonderful job and she walked out and I had the job so it it uh and I'm sure she got another really wonderful job, too, because she's 25 and beautiful. So. <laughs> well, when you did the audition, was that? did you have to do it with Nathan? Did you do yes, with I him? got yeah, to do yeah, it with Nathan. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was must have been just, exciting. Oh, it was really fun. <laughs> I mean, I knew Nathan a little bit, uh-huh. but um, I, I thought this is the way to try to get it. It's, you know, if, if, uh, if you have a hesitancy about it, then, yeah, you've got to see what that dynamic is. And Nathan and I are funny together so and I really admire him so I think that that helps the helps what those characters have I love him I think he's great you've made a point a couple of times already in this interview about talking about the fact that you don't haven't done a lot of musicals people didn't always think of you for musicals you had done certainly the show uh, that we talked about at the WPA uh, in 92 how did Millie come about (laughs) Kali, everything really in this particular interview does keep going back to Jeffrey, but I think it is. I was doing Jeffrey in L.A. and Richard Morris. I knew Dick Scanlon a little bit through my friend Edward Hibbert, who was doing I was doing Jeffrey with. Dick came to see Jeffrey, and uh, we were talking, and he said, "Oh, I'm doing. Uh, oh, I think maybe this was a couple of years before." He said, "I'm I'm working on." Uh, thoroughly modern Millie and I said oh Mrs. Mears that's a good part and I don't remember this either but Dick told me I said this there's a lot I don't remember I guess <laughs> but uh, Richard Morris came to see uh, Jeffrey when we were out in LA and he came back to the work session with uh, Dick Scanlon and said I found Mrs. Mears and he said who and he said Harriet Harris and Dick said oh no no <laughs> <laughs> you seem to have a problem here. Yeah. Everybody's saying no. Well, it's because he—it's because he knew me, and I think I just don't conjure that up in his mind, you know. So he said, "She's not who you think she is. She's not the right age, and she really isn't. She's not. She's not that." And he said, "I don't need the right age." I, Richard Morris apparently said, I, "I, it requires a certain sensibility, and and she's got it. So that's who I would like." And and I got to do. Uh, I never got to meet Richard Morris, but Dick um, said that Richard Morris made him promise that that's who they would, you know, go to. So and when they first did the reading, Rich, before we go on, Richard, Richard Morris, Morris was one of the authors of the original film. He was the author, yeah, yeah. and and he didn't want to turn Millie into a musical for a very long time. And Dick Scanlon kept uh, ingratiating himself in his very graceful way. And I think he, I think Richard Morris realized this guy's really smart and really valuable and he would be a wonderful uh, partner in this. Mm. So um, they did begin to work on it together and and Dick is the person who saw it through Mm. and did a great job, just a beautiful job with it. Well, I interrupted you. You started to say that you, so you went into... Oh, so I got to do the first workshop. Dick Mm -hmm. called me and he said, he told me this story and he said, and, uh, you know, so here we are at the first workshop and would you like to do it? And I thought, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that, um, 
along with this, you know, saying kids, oh, those kids, those, you know, irresponsible kids, they really, you know, they're all so great. But the thing that I was amazed about in that workshop was that they don't, they just do whatever is on the page. They do what's asked of them. And if it's, if it's written this way, they sing it this way, they don't have any questions. And <laughs> all these wonderful things that they can, they have the discipline to just do it. And actors are always going, well, what if I did it this way? Or what if I, and in that workshop, I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm in a group of people who can do whatever is put in front of them and they don't ask questions, they just go ahead and do it. And that's the flip side, I think, of this other thing of, you know, thinking, I'm not going to be perfect tonight, so I'm going to take the show off. And so that may be that may be what motivates them is if they can't be as great as they were last night, they're just not going to they're not going to come in, you know. And it's not like we have a lot of absenteeism, but I was just I was frankly worried about some absenteeism when I thought that maybe the Tony nominators might be out there. <laughs> and I you know, I love the show and I want it to have a really good shot. So well, That's you, part of what that was. You had done comedy, but Millie was a musical comedy. Yeah. So going into a musical, was that uh, intimidating to you, having to perform? It was, because in Bella 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 Russia, there, was, there were some songs, but uh, they were really like, I'm speaking, I'm not, you know, and the main dancing I did in that was I thought it would be funny if I danced with a big wrench, you know, it was in some sort of Soviet, uh, you know, poster art of, of uh, the worker and and uh, so it was really just like bouncing off of the walls with this wrench and striking poses and stuff so I thought man it's going to be to actually do you know figure out what five six seven eight is and what what you're supposed to be doing and it was it was really but I worked I worked really hard so I constantly I would hate to say the hours I put in <laughs> Had, had you had any any vocal training? I'm studying with somebody now. Oh, you are and, now. Uh, yeah, because I want I I want to get better. You know, you don't want to just sort of like slide on by. And you know, if, oh, if they're foolish enough to hire me, you know, I want I want to. If I'm going to be doing this, I want to uh, improve. So uh, I am, and uh, and and. I think it's a I think it's a good thing to do. But when you had done Millie, you you had not had any. No, they didn't training. want me to. I asked them, really? and I and they said, "We love the way you sound. We want you to sound the way you sound. You're perfect. Don't." And I thought, "Really?" And then as time wore on, I thought, "I bet they wish I'd studied. I bet you know." <laughs> but and then this time too, I said, "How about?" And they said, "No, we we you sound great. You sound great." And when we were in La Jolla, towards the end of the run, I went to the musical director and I said, "I think I'm actually approaching singing." And she said, "You are." <laughs> And she said, are you still open to the idea of studying with somebody? And I said, yes. She said, well, then then why don't you? Because there's a big break between La Jolla and and Broadway, and you don't want to backslide because you, you're you singing. So I thought, okay. I don't, I'm not even quite sure what the difference is, but but uh, I think, it, you know, it's a good thing to reinvest in, in what you're doing. Mrs. Mears was... A big presence. It was a brazen <laughs> character. I don't want to be diplomatic as I say it, but how do you know when you're? Do you get too big and be pulled back as you're playing a character like that? Can that happen, or was I'm it sure just it can the happen? Edge? I think you you know the the thing is the when it stops amusing you, it's probably too big. Huh. And the when you were talking about audience response earlier, and like in a 
place like the Marriott Marquis, it's a wonderful theater. I love being there, but it is hard to hear the audience. So you have to almost, you have to, when you're reading it, go, they're going to laugh this long, or tonight it's, it's this big a laugh. And you can hear them, but it's just, it's something that most of my friends who do com not do comedy because I don't do comedy I'm not a stand up but the that play comedy just have that they know they know how long the laugh's going to be they can you know before it even starts they can tell or they can tell this person's wow that was really funny that's going to be great yeah yeah okay and it it's that's that sort of feeling ab- uh, about it so the um I'm sorry I've diverged to the point where I've lost the question well, just about when you play a character that's that oh, how brazen, big is too and, big, and how do you how do you find? I think you just have level? to you, you you think about you think about a joke and and how funny it is to you, and you think about uh, the character and how much you would believe. Hmm. And sometimes it is true I would believe a character farther than a, another director, and I mean you know than a director would would believe. So. Um, and I did have a director once say, "I think that's a you know over the top." And I said, "Well, it's it's over your top. It's, it's not over mine. <laughs> but you are the director, and I, and I I'm happy to pull it back." So, uh, and it, that that is, I mean, they directors hire you to access your sensibility. They don't hire you to give you free reign to do whatever it is that you want to do. And and I think that most great directors are um, really capable of, of uh, figuring out what's best for the whole show. For somebody who keeps talking about they don't always do musicals but wanted to, you had an opportunity to do one of the classics, namely MAME at the Kennedy Center in 2006. Um, I'm just curious, you were playing opposite Christine Varansky was MAME, and I thought to myself, each of you could play either role. <laughs> Only Christine would never have played Vera to my name. <laughs> so, but I am curious that you know. To me, you you both have can play both of those characters, and I'm just wondering what the experience was. Of, oh, of it playing was so fun, Christine. It was really, really. We had a we had a great time, and uh, it was uh, again an incredibly gifted group of people. It was just uh, I thought a beautiful production, and uh, Christine was lovely. And the and Vera is such an incredibly funny part. Um, it was it was really 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 fun to get to do that. Like so many show, classic shows, we sort of have the original embedded. Even though those of us who never saw it, maybe saw the film, but have listened to the to the cast album, I'm just wondering what did how did what was your take on Vera? I thought that she really, uh, in the opening number, because I am not a dancer, and the director knew that I was not a dancer, um, he said, you know, you should just pass out like Vera always does. And I said, you know, I understand. Ultimately, I have to pass out. But I would love it if Vera keeps dancing right up until the moment she passes out, and that she and Mame really, the reason they love each other so much, and they, they were chorus girls together, and they really, they know those numbers, and they know, you know, they can really kick out and do all you know pull out all the stops and that's that's I thought very important that sh- they're great and they are equals right up to the point that Vera's had so much to drink she just flops over but it's like mid 
dance step and she's out. <laughs> and and I thought and the wonderful choreographer Warren Carlyle heard me and the director said, No, you really don't have to do that and the Warren said, No, if you want to <laughs> Why do I try to do these impersonations? It's so insulting. But anyway, he's got a wonderful English accent. And he said, if you want to do that, I think that's great. I think I really see you in that front line and I see you. And oh, my God, I had so many. Oh, my God. So many hours later, I thought these ideas, you just really shouldn't say them out loud. I had to work so hard. And we, Christine and I were constantly going over this stuff because, you know, and of course, the kids that are 20 have been doing this since they were four and we're sort of like trying to paddle and keep up in the front line and Christine's very athletic but I'm not so it was really 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 fun though to be in a big old chorus line you know and do those do that number so it was was a blast and Bosom Buddies that's a great song and the and the Man in the Moon it was really fun to do so it was it was just a really really great time I'd love to do that part again really fun. Well, that was the Kennedy Center in Washington. You were yeah. at the Guthrie in Minneapolis for Glass Menagerie, which is anything but a chorus line, anything but a yeah. kick line. I'd wanted to do that play since I was 13, and when I was really seriously thinking about what could I do with my life and what would be, um, as one does at 13, you know, what would be important and meaningful and what could, what could you do that would make a difference? And, and I thought, I read that play and I thought, that Plays like that make a difference in people's lives. And this is something I felt at 13. Well, did I, you I want to play Amanda I at did. 13, not Laura? <laughs> no, I wanted to play Amanda. I really understood, I think, what she was trying to do huh. and that how hard she was trying to, how tightly you can hold on to something and just destroy it by, you know, clutching it too tightly, and but you can't let go, you know. And, and, the, and that, to me, was... Uh, I just thought it was so incredibly beautiful, so heartbreaking. I wanted to play all the parts at that point, but I did. Um, I wanted to play Amanda so badly, and I am really lucky because Joe Dowling did an incredible job. And I think that when he and I were talking on the phone about it, who runs the Guthrie Theater, and when he was uh, and I were first talking about it on the phone, and he was making some jokes, and and I was too, and I thought this is very that. That dark Irish sensibility is so close to that Southern Gothic thing, and that that is something that he's going to do a great job because there is that romanticism and there's a sort of you know draw to the dark side and uh, and we really had that and it was an incredibly funny production and that I was very proud of that for a role that you say you'd wanted to play and obviously been looking at since you were thirteen when you actually got into it. Did you find things that over all those years you'd never seen in the play? Yeah, it struck me much funnier. You know, reading it, I think it's a play that I've read on and off, you know, uh, maybe every five years or so. And it has become funnier and funny to me, funnier uh, over time. Um, The lines seem funnier. And I haven't seen that. I've seen a number of productions of it. And I think you can really get trapped and you can get trapped in how trapped they are and and that turns into a a kind of despair that that isn't funny as opposed to this actually could this could work this and that's the thing that I think is wonderful about William's writing is that he he's able to keep you know it doesn't become soupy and and uh, 
you know, it's not phlegmatic. The, the people really can get along right up until the point where it's just the breaking point. And that's why they are so incredibly tragic, is that these people really are struggling most of the time to get along or, you know, um, make the best of, of this really hideous situation that they're in. And, and then it becomes, uh, and you want to spend time with these people. Why would you want to spend time with, you know, these perfectly horrible people if, if they aren't enjoying themselves on some level? They are each other's best friends hmm. and the only people they're close to. So it, it, it really was extremely, extremely funny and sweet and I think heartbreaking. And, and they've done the production of the Guthrie so many times and people know it so well that people thought we'd change some of the lines, which we, which we didn't. He, was, he did a wonderful job. Well, as we wrap up, about a year ago at this time, Old Acquaintance playing Millie Drake at Roundabout yeah, here in New York. Yeah, that was a blast. That was really fun. It was a, you know, d- again, it was an example of a bad girl, and I love to play people who are going to scream and shout and do stuff like, you know, misbehave in ways that I just wouldn't. And so it was really, uh, it was really, really fun to be back at the Roundabout and got a chance to do that. And now here we are a year later at the Marriott Marquis, starring in Cry Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Harriet, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Santa. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks, Harriet. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, and for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap. And thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.